Thank you, Dan. Good morning and happy Sabbath, God's wonderful people. It's a beautiful day in the mountains. Beautiful day in the mountains. This is the day the Lord has given us. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, this morning we are here to worship you, our Creator, our Savior, our Almighty God. Lord, I pray that you will be with us as we worship you in faith and worship you as we pray and study and as we continue our walk with Jesus. Lord, help us to make the right choices and with the help of our Holy Spirit, we know that we will. All these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My message this morning, I believe, is a very important message. What does it profit a man if he gains the entire world but loses his life? Jesus told the disciples, he told the Pharisees, if your plan is to do all yourself, uh, all that you can for yourself to acquire wealth and accumulate property and buildings and vain glory, you know that it's not going to really profit you because you're at going nowhere. One of the first stories that I thought about as I prepared my message today is a man that we read all about in the book of Exodus. By that clue, I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. He was known as being the meekest. And you know, he wasn't good with words. I'd like you to turn to the faith chapter of Hebrews chapter 11. Let's take a look at Moses. This is kind of a wrap-up of his entire life. And Moses, known as the deliverer, he was to deliver his people, Israel, from the hands of Egypt, from bondage. And let's start with verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Think about the time, a short time. Short time is temporary short time. He didn't want the treasures of Egypt. You know that Moses was training to potentially be the pharaoh of Egypt. He found more favor than Ramses, his adopted brother. I guess that's the relationship. And Ramses was jealous. He didn't want to see Moses be the pharaoh in Egypt. But when God came to Moses and told Moses, I have a plan for you. 
You know, God has a plan for you and you and you. And that plan is for our best. It's for our eternal best. Going on with Hebrews 11, he desired God's plan in his life rather to enjoy pleasures of sin for a short time. We know what pleasures of sin are. There's no reason really to list those pleasures, but they're for a short time. Verse 26, he, meaning Moses, regarded disgrace for the sake of Jesus as of greater value than all the treasures of Egypt because he, Moses, was looking ahead to his reward. Do we all have a reward waiting for us when we follow Jesus and accept his plan? Remember, his plan is eternal. It's not temporal. Now, many people in the Bible, and even today, we see them all over the place. They're not following God because why? They're not keeping his commandments. They're not worshiping him. They're not giving him glory, honor, and praise, which is what we should do to thank God for life, for creating us. Moses is very impressive to me. Was he good at giving speeches? No, but he had a brother, the high priest of Israel, named Aaron. Aaron would be the spokesperson. Moses wanted to give the whole duty or job to Aaron. Aaron was not really worthy in the eyes of God. The deliverer was chosen. It was Moses. You know, Moses' life can be thought of as three parts. The first part, 40 years. 40 years is big in the Bible. That's how long David served as king. That's how long Solomon served as king. But 40 years, the first 40 years of Moses' life is that his mother gave him away by setting him afloat on the river Nile in a little boat made out of reeds and grass and papyrus. And the daughter of Pharaoh found Moses in that boat. And she adopted Moses. She says, God has given me Moses, and I have taken him out of the bushes. You know, Moses was quite the deliverer. The people in Egypt, uh, the Israelites, they were waiting a long, long time for deliverance. They were beginning to wonder if they would ever be delivered. For those first 40 years of his life, Moses grew up in the palace of the Pharaoh with a brother adopted, or I guess it's adopted, Ramses. Ramses was entitled to the throne or to become the king in Egypt. But the Pharaoh liked Moses. In other words, he had his favorite. It was Moses. Moses learned a lot of things. He read blueprints. They must have had blueprints. You know, it was Egyptians that built the pyramids and built the, all the buildings, the palace. Some of them still stand today. But something happened after 40 years. Totally interrupted Moses. 
Moses, he did something he shouldn't have done, and he fled Egypt. But God would have had it a different way. The next 40 years of the life of Moses, he spent in the desert of Midian. He was a, a sheep herder, and it was there next to the mountain. I believe it was near or at the mountain of God. And the king in Midian was eventually going to be his um, father-in-law, a very smart man named Jethro. And Moses was to marry his daughter. For 40 years, as Moses tended his flock, God taught Moses the plan. And it took 40 years to help Moses unlearn 40 years that he'd learned in Egypt. Was he learning God's way or was he learning Egypt's way? He was in line to the throne, but God did not have that plan for him. And after the 40 years, you know the story, God came to Moses in what fashion? Anybody? A burning bush came to Moses, and Moses was kind of in fear that the, the bush spoke to him. And as he approached, God says, I want you on bended knees. Take your sandals off. Where you are really walking and kneeling is sacred. Why? Because God Almighty was there. Another 40 years after Israel was delivered against Pharaoh's wishes. We know that story, but my story here is about Moses. He spent another 40 years in the desert. That really wasn't his fault. It was the Israelites' fault. They were grumbling. They didn't want to go the shortcut way to Canaan, the promised land. They had to go the long way around to learn their lesson. And what they did was so bad that God told Moses, they're not going to find the promised land. They're not going to be around Forty years of wandering. You know, there are some people today and in the past, they wandered a lot longer than 40 years. You just wonder why people don't learn their lesson sooner, 40 years. But you know what? Sometimes it takes that long to get out of the grip of Satan. I say Israelites, the ones that were complaining and siding with that rebellion in the desert, those rebels. I know who they are. You can read and find out who they are. But whoever followed them, they were not going to see the promised land. In fact, the ones that would actually see the promised land, God told him it would be the faithful. Now, they didn't have too many faithful at that time. I can name a couple, Caleb and Joshua, not even his own brother or sister. They were part of the rebellion. Another 40 years, and Moses, who was destined to follow God's plan to be translated without seeing death and reach heaven. Now, why wouldn't we follow that plan? That's God's plan for us. Our plan, his plan 
that we be with him. And you know, Moses didn't quite measure up. He disobeyed God. And he was taught a lesson. But still, he was thought of as one of God's faithful. One of his most faithful. And you know, as he disobeyed God, he wasn't told to strike the rock. Just speak to the rock and water come pouring out. He hit the rock in a symbolic way. He was hitting Jesus. And so he had to pay a price. And God said, Moses, your time is up. You're not going into the promised land. What a surprise that was for Moses. And it made him sad. He took him up to the highest, highest mountain there above the promised land. And this is where God told Moses, you're going to fall asleep in my arms. You're going to die. And Moses said, whatever you want for me, whatever your plan is, you know, it's hard. But today, we also ought to follow that plan of God, the specific plan for each one of us, because he does have a plan. And you know, the plan, the greatest plan, we call the plan of redemption or plan of salvation. That means when we give our hearts to the Lord, when we walk with him the way that Moses walked with God, the way that Enoch walked with God and Elijah, our reward, our destiny is in heaven forever, everlasting life. Well, we know Moses did receive his reward. Where, where's Moses today? He, he is in heaven. And we know he's in heaven. We know he's in heaven. He was with Jesus and Elijah when Jesus was the transformation. And when Jesus was shown bright and God, the Father said, I'm proud of my son, Jesus. I'm proud of his ministry. What a wonderful, wonderful story in the Bible. I think Moses is one of the few faithful unto death. Now, we have others in the Bible that we know were faithful unto death. Who can name me a person that was faithful unto death? Stephen. Stephen. Who else? John, faithful unto death. You pick. John the Baptist, for sure. John the Baptist, for sure. And now that we bring him up, John the Baptist, I believe, was one of the most selfless um, men in the Bible. He said, as he was the precursor and announcing, Jesus is coming, you need to repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus said the same thing then, later on. John the Baptist says, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. John's followers did not like that. Did not like that. But they soon came to understand that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's our Savior. No other. No other. Jesus, he's the one. So I do enjoy and I like reading about John the Baptist. Let's not feel sorry for John. 
I believe John the Baptist was resurrected when Jesus was. I believe he's in heaven today. Do we have proof of that? I don't know, but we have proof that many were resurrected. Once you're resurrected, when Christ is resurrected, you're going to heaven one way to heaven. So I like the story of John the Baptist. Now, there's a couple of other stories. As we're talking about the Bible, this is kind of outside the Bible. But there was a man that was maybe the richest man in, the, in this country, one of the richest, a billionaire. And he owned a lot of property, a lot of money. I'm sure he had gold and silver. He was a director and made movies. Do you know who this is yet? No. He built a plane called the Spruce Goose. Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes. Now, you know what? He followed the wrong way. He was wanting to profit for himself. He wanted to enjoy, uh, you know, all of the enjoyment that this earth can give us. One thing it doesn't give us, though, it doesn't give us an everlasting life in heaven or our soul. It doesn't give us Jesus. And, you know, he didn't realize that he needed Jesus. I think John the Baptist realized it. Did he realize he would be in heaven? I'm not sure, but I'm sure the Holy Spirit visited the Holy uh, John the Baptist in prison and assured him. Same thing with Stephen. I believe the angel of the Lord was there. Stephen kept preaching until he couldn't preach any longer. Another person, we all know who she is. She was known as the mother of all children. She was a, a nun, and she did a lot of her work in India. We'll say it. Mother Teresa. And they said, what are you doing here? Why are you here as a nun? And she said, I'm here to take care of the children. You know, children were important to Jesus. He said, suffer the children to come to me. They can't hear me. They can't see me. They're way behind the whole crowd. Bring them up here. And Jesus sat one on his knee. Mother Teresa did she seek riches, gold and silver and vain glory? No. Again, selfless like John the Baptist, Mother Teresa. I used to read things about Mother Teresa, and you know, I thought about Jesus, I thought about the Bible, and how it extols us to be holy just as Jesus, our Savior, is holy. Mother Teresa, I believe, was a holy holy woman. She personifies the parable in Matthew 25. You need to help people clothe, uh, feed, visit them in prison or visit them when they're sad and they need somebody to pray for them. We know that Jesus is right there and Jesus knows that kind of a person. He knew Mother Teresa, and he's ready to tell them, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful in this on earth. I will make you faith ruler of more, more tougher things. 
And so those are the promises that we have. If you turn with me to Matthew 19, and you held your place in Matthew 16, we find a rich man. He's known as the rich young ruler. He may have been an attorney or a teacher. Some, some say that, you know, he had gained a lot of money, but he did it for his own, his own glory. And in verse 19, chapter 19, verse 16, the man came up to Jesus and said, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Well, number one, is it something that we do or without any faith, like Paul writes about? You know, you can do all the best things, but if you don't have faith, it's like a symbol that is bong, you know, due to, you know, to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus told him, there's only one good. You're looking at him, right? If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. The young ruler said, I've done every one of these. Which one are you talking about? And Jesus said, oh, let's start with do not murder. Or how about do not commit adultery? Or do not steal? Do not lie or give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. That agape love that we must have, the love of Jesus. And the young man assured Jesus, you know, I've done all of that. What, what do I still lack? And it's like, why does he think he lacks anything? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, this is so key, even in our own lives. You must give to the poor. Sell what you have. That's verse 21. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And the, the rich young ruler, when he heard this, he was very sad because he could not part with his great wealth. I know that none of us here today could ever imagine any wealth that we would want to keep that would keep us out of heaven. And you know, that wealth is not going to be ours for long. We can't take it with us. You know, Solomon, a wise Solomon in Ecclesiastes says that when you die, everything you had before it becomes somebody else's. Right? You don't keep it. And so he went away sadly. The rich young ruler is a good example of Jesus say, what does it profit a man if he were to gain the whole world but lose his life, lose his very soul? And the text also that Jesus said, if you try to, to win everything here on earth, it says you're going to lose your life. But if you give and you do what Jesus wants you to do, and you lose your life for his sake, then you will gain life, and you will gain eternal life. And so this is a very good illustration of, are you going to store treasures here on earth, like the rich young man, ruler, or are you going to store them in heaven? Now, in Christ's Sermon on the Mount, 
Matthew 6. Verses 19, 20, and 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, we have things that if somebody has stolen from us, I'm sure, we've all had something stolen. And so the more you have, the more that's in jeopardy of being stolen. And the things that we have become obsolete. They rust. They're no longer good. They don't work anymore. What good is it? It's not eternal. And people, naysayers, say, how do you store treasures in heaven? You store treasures in heaven the way Mother Teresa lived her life, the way Moses lived his life, the way John the Baptist, a selfless life. You know, the Apostle Paul was saying in his writings, you need to die to yourself daily. Die to yourself daily. And then if you're dying to yourself, you're living in Christ. Paul said, I don't think of my life in this body. I think of my life in Christ, which is a spiritual, spiritual thing. Treasures in heaven. I sure don't want my treasures stolen. Do you know when we give our tithes and offerings, they help God's plan, the plan of salvation. They help spread the gospel. That is giving your money to Jesus and that's storing treasure in heaven. You know what? I don't think of tithe and offerings as a cost. I think of it as an investment in the riches in heaven. It's an investment. You know, in the book of James, he's talking about this earth. And he says, really, what does it matter on this earth and you know, James is the brother of Jesus. He says, how long do we have on this earth in life? He compared our life here as a mist. And by the way, if you want to look at that um, text sometime later, it's James 4, 13 and 14. A mist. How long does a mist last? Not long at all. It, what does it do? It evaporates to nothing. It becomes nothing. That's the length of our lives. And in Psalm chapter 10, David says, our life is usually about three score and 10. And if you have strength, it might be longer, four score, five score, but not today. You know, Moses, 120. The patriarchs, a lot longer. But they're all either decided, either their destiny of being lost forever or sleeping in the arms of Jesus. I like the fact that God's people are sleeping in Jesus. He's taking care of them, and nobody can harm them. Nobody can harm them. You know... 
Paul, some of Paul's famous words were, not I, but Christ. Or Christ, only Christ. If we can get that mindset, then we will be storing treasure in heaven. And we will not be storing up treasures here on earth that are only going to last. And I, I don't even think it's 70 or 80 years, because how long did it take you to acquire all of that? It took you a while. So once you've got it, you maybe only have it for 20 years. That is temporal. That is temporary on earth. You know, I'm going to close my message today. Let's think about that text. What does it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world but loses out on everlasting life? You know very well Paul's life began very, very bad. Paul says later on, I was the worst sinner of all. I was killing God's people. That's pretty bad. You know, that's pretty bad. But when he gave his heart to the Lord, you know, he spent three days on a bed, the Holy Spirit counseling him, and he couldn't see a thing. He turned his heart to the Lord, and he had one mission in life, and that was to preach Jesus Christ. That's his mission. And, you know, Jesus, some of his last words in his ministry before he would be sacrificed on the cross, he said, go out to the world preaching and teaching the Ten Commandments, and then baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what Peter did? Peter even had a sermon on that. If you're giving your heart to the Lord, you need baptism. Baptism is very important. And we witnessed some baptisms not too long ago. I believe that Paul gave up his entire wealth as a member of the Sanhedrin Pharisees, and he gave it in the, in the work of the gospel. That was what his goal was. And you know, Paul, at the end of his life, in the, in the Roman prison, all he had was Jesus and his friends, his close friends. But Paul knew Jesus. So I want to impress I want to again say what does it profit a man you know when we give up everything for Jesus his reward is with him and that reward is eternal eternal life let us pray Heavenly Father today we are here to worship you help us to choose you over this world and like the song says, you can have this world, but give me Jesus. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, we know the title of the song that follows, and so Linda...